We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 194 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. My name is Andy Herman. I'll be hosting today's episode. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Scani Sports. I am a writer for Cheesehead TV, and really, we have a lot to go over in this Monday edition of the Pack-A-Day podcast. Of course, we just finished up the Super Bowl. We had some NFL awards over the weekend. I'm always obviously going to talk some Packers, and uh, today I'm actually going to be answering some fan questions as well. So with that said, let's get right into it. We've got a lot to cover Starting, of course, with the Patriots' epic 13-3 win in a very unexpected defensive struggle of a Super Bowl, actually the lowest scoring Super Bowl of all time. And I don't think anyone, certainly myself, saw that coming. I never in a million years would have expected this to be a 13-3 battle with the Rams only putting up three points. And really, I would not have expected this Super Bowl even a few weeks ago from the Patriots. Uh, You know, the Patriots had another classic Patriots season. But this was not a team that I expected to make this sort of run, and it's not this underdog story that the Patriots and their fans, of course, want to make this out to be. But if you would have told me a few weeks ago that they would have had to play the Chargers at home, the Chiefs on the road, and then the Rams in the Super Bowl... Honestly, I'm not sure that I would have predicted them to go 3-0 and in those three specific games. And you can make the argument that they should not have beat the Chiefs had it not been for a fortunate D-Ford offsides penalty. They're not even in that game in the first place. 
But credit where credit is due, they were able to come out on top on all three of those games and somehow win another Super Bowl, which is ridiculous at this point. The Rams somehow only mustered 260 yards of total offense. Jared Goff had a very underwhelming day, 19 of 38 passing, 229 yards, and really a a crippling interception when they were trying to go down and tie the game. Now, to his credit, he basically hit Brandon Cooks on the play before that for a touchdown that would have tied the game, which Brandon Cooks unfortunately dropped. And then on the next play was that interception. Uh, Tom Brady, not that great either. 21 of 35, 262 yards, no touchdowns and a pick. And uh, some standouts in this game, Sony Michelle, 18 carries, 94 yards and a touchdown. He certainly acquitted himself well in this game. Julian Edelman, the Super Bowl MVP, 10 catches for 141 yards. Gronk had six catches for 87 yards. Not a monster day, but in a low scoring game, he certainly showed up and had a, a catch that really set up the game winning touchdown. Brandon Cooks had eight catches for 120 yards, but of course had that aforementioned drop. It it was a a contested catch that it would have been had he made it, Uh, but that was a big play in the game. He drops it, and again, Jared Jared Goff on the next play throws that interception. Uh, Dante Hightower, two sacks in the game. He was kind of flashing all over the place. And then Stephon Gilmore, you know, not only did he have the the clutch interception on that Brandon Cooks play, uh, but really played a really nice game overall. The Patriots on defense were absolutely dominant and and give credit to Bill Belichick and that defense. They had the Rams pegged throughout, throughout the entirety of this game. The Rams could never get anything going. And uh, it's, it's tough when, when Belichick and that defensive staff has two weeks to prepare for you. They're going to put put together one hell of a game plan, and they certainly did that today. Uh, really one game-changing drive by the Patriots, again, when they were able to drive down and score the touchdown after the big play by Gronk. Uh, the Rams tried to answer after that. Uh, again, Jer- uh, Jared Cook had Cooks open for six. He dropped it. And, and from that point forward, what I actually thought was a pretty good Super Bowl up to that point. I know it was low scoring. I know the the Patriots ended up winning. It was anticlimactic at the end. But up until that point where Goff threw the interception, I was actually really entertained. Every single play mattered. Yes, it was a defensive struggle. And yes, there was some, some offensive struggles. Outside of it being great defense, there were some plays on offense from Brady, from Goff, uh, the fumble by C.J. Anderson that just stood on the sideline for a couple seconds before rolling out of bounds. There was some bad offense in this game, but give a ton of credit to the defense. And I, again, thought it was entertaining. A lot of a lot of key decisions and strategy that went into this game uh, up until, again, the point where, where Jared Goff threw the pick in the end zone. For me, I know Julian Edelman won the MVP in this game, but to me, Bill Belichick was the unequivocal MVP. Uh, you can talk about the deflate gate and the spy gate, and they were, again, certainly beneficial of some very lucky plays over the course of Bill Belichick's career. The tuck rule, D. Ford being offsides, uh, just to name a couple, but Bill Belichick is an absolute mastermind. Again, give him two weeks to game plan, and it almost seems unfair, uh, the, the advantage that the Patriots get from that. And it really should go to show you just how impressive that those Super Bowl wins by the Giants and the Eagles were uh, against the Patriots and and kudos to them because again you give Bill Belichick that amount of time uh, to scheme and to strategize and he is going to pick you apart and for whatever reason over the course of this last you know two decades Bill Belichick has a formula that the rest of the league has not been able to figure out and he's done it through a variety of different ways they've had some power running teams they've had obviously this 
quick, short passing game for some time now, but he has continued to evolve and it hasn't mattered, you know, which coaching staff he's had. He's had Charlie Weiss and Romeo Cornell and all these different assistants and offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators and whoever leaves and whoever shows up next, it doesn't seem to matter. They've had a plethora of different stars, both on offense and defense. And the only two consistents throughout pretty much everything have been Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And yes, it's the evil empire. I'm not a Patriots fan by any stretch of the imagination, but credit where credit is due. It is one hell of a dynasty and they deserve a lot of credit for what they've been able to put together. And again, I know it's, I know it's insufferable and I know pretty much everyone has wanted anyone else to win. And they, to be fair, they did just lose the Super Bowl a season ago. You know, shucks for them. But uh, again, it's been a, a quite incredible dynasty. And, and again, credit to where credit is due. I think any sports franchise would would love to flip spots with them and have the success that they've had. And again, it's unfortunately they have a couple of those blemishes. To me, Deflate Gates nothing. That was a misdemeanor that was turned into a felony for no reason at all. I thought that was ridiculous. The Spygate, of course, a little bit more uh, on the side of cheating, if you want to call it that. But um, that was a while back, and they've certainly had tremendous success since that point, and uh, certainly have not had any other sort of transgressions against them from that time period going forward. So I guess here we are. Congratulations, New England Patriots. Moving forward to 2019, hopefully someone will be able to dethrone them. It sounds like Bill Belichick and Tom Brady are both coming back, so you can basically hand them a spot in the AFC Championship game when those two have been healthy. That's, well, obviously Bill Belichick's healthy, but when Tom Brady's been healthy and Bill Belichick and him have been together, again, you can basically earmark them into the AFC Championship game at least. So we'll see if somebody can knock them out next year. I I really thought this was going to be one of the years where the Chiefs were able to knock them out or the Rams in the Super Bowl, but alas, it was not meant to be. And again, another Super Bowl win for the Patriots. The other big news over the weekend was, of course, the NFL awards. Uh, just going to run through a few of these really quick. Matt Nagy won Coach of the Year. His assistant, uh, Vic Fangio, won Assistant of the Year. Of course, Vic Fangio will be leaving to coach the Broncos this season. Pat Mahomes won MVP and Offensive Player of the Year. Aaron Donald won Defensive Player of the Year. Saquon Barkley won the Offensive Rookie of the Year, while Darius Leonard won Defensive Rookie of the Year. That was really the the biggest issue I had was Offensive Rookie of the Year. I really thought that should have been Baker Mayfield. I thought he was more valuable. I thought he was the better player, and uh, I certainly thought he energized the Browns. Not a huge issue with Barkley winning, but I definitely thought that should have went to Baker. Uh, The never-say-never moment of the year, of course, the one that's going to be most interest to Packer fans, was Rodgers' comeback win over the Bears. So we'll discuss that just a little bit here. Um, You know, in a a dark season, and one that was plagued by injuries and poor play and the firing of coach Mike McCarthy and, you know, really a, a subpar season by Aaron Rodgers, whether it be due to injury or other, Uh, This was the lone bright spot, again, in a very dark season. And I talked about this on an episode with Sarah Kelleher earlier this year. And it was just a, a magical, magical moment. I was there in the stadium and it's really, you know, I, I'm sure it's not that different watching it at home, uh, feeling the impact of Aaron Rodgers going down and thinking that he's probably going to be out for the year if at least uh, not a significant period of time. And the the stadium was deflated. There was zero energy in that stadium. Kaiser comes in. He, he kind of blows a scoring opportunity. And then you've got the Khalil Mack touchdown. And 
this stadium is like a, a cemetery. There is nobody talking about anything. No one wants to talk to anyone else. It's just depressing. And then here you have Aaron Rodgers come out of the tunnel and lead this incredible comeback. And, you know, the the play to Randall Cobb, you know, kudos to Randall Cobb on that play. That was a lot of run after the catch. I'll go over that more in just a second. But really the play that was really, really incredible was that throw to Geronimo Allison. Nice play by Allison, no questions asked. But that ball was on a dime to where only Geronimo Allison could get it. And uh, that was just one of those throws that makes Aaron Rodgers so special. And then the play to Randall Cobb, I've got end zone seats, so I've got this really awesome, amazing view. It's kind of like watching the all 22 from the end zone, but up elevated a little bit higher. So you can see exactly what Aaron Rodgers sees. I absolutely love the seats. I want to trade them for pretty much any other ones in the stadium. And you could see Randall Cobb you know, starting to, I shouldn't even say, he wasn't open, but you could see as soon as that ball was heading to Randall Cobb, you could see nothing but green pastures behind him. And I remember that ball, the moment it touched Cobb's hands, I jumped up, I grabbed my friend, I about threw him almost three rows down uh, from where we were sitting. And because I, you could just see that he was going to go and not necessarily maybe for a touchdown, but he was going to go 70-ish yards and, and make this really interesting. And then, you know, he gets by a couple guys, credit, uh, Leonard Floyd and Khalil Mack for getting as far downfield as they did. Credit the blocking by the Packers, uh, but just a magical, magical play from from Rogers to Cobb, and uh, certainly again the bright spot of the season, uh, beating the Bears at home to open up your hundredth season, and uh, it looked like maybe that was going to be the start of something magical for the season as a whole. Unfortunately, that that did not end up being the case in any way, shape, or form, Uh, but certainly this was deserving of the never-say-never moment of the year and certainly something that I was very, very excited to be there for and uh, a game that will go down. Uh, For me, two other ones that stand out, that Seahawks snowball game I was at as well as the game where Favre threw the game winner to Kittrick Taylor really in his first meaningful appearance as a Packer. Uh, Games that will stand out to me forever and uh, that play to Randall Cobb will certainly do the same. So those were a few of the awards uh, that happened uh, over the course of the weekend. Of course, you have got uh, your Hall of Fame inductees as well. And I thought it was a really strong class. I would love to talk about how, uh, you know, Leroy Butler should have been in this class as well. And I think there's uh, plenty of time for that in the future. But, you know, this time frame should really be celebrating those uh, players and and personalities that were elected into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Those names include Champ Bailey, Pat Boland, Gil Brandt, Tony Gonzalez, Ty Law, Kevin Mawai, Ed Reed, and Johnny Robinson. I want to touch on a couple of them really quick. First, Gil Brandt. I, I think it's really cool that this is not just always about players. And of course, it should be probably 90 to 95% players are the ones that play the game and should be in the Hall of Fame. But somebody like Gil Brandt, who's been so involved in the NFL in a variety of different ways, obviously, mostly from a scouting standpoint. Uh, but the fact that he continues to be you know, on Twitter and on NFL Network, still breaking down college players to this day, you see him at the scouting combine. I mean, just a, a person who lives and breathes football. And I thought that was a really cool induction. And then you know, a couple other players, Tony Gonzalez, one of the, the best tight ends that I've certainly ever seen play. And then, you know, Champ Bailey and Ty Law, two players who at, at the peak of their careers were, were shut down corners. And then to me, the, the highlight of this class is really Ed Reed. To me, the greatest safety that I've ever seen play the game. And, uh, you know, somebody growing up, whenever I played Madden, he would be one of my first uh, players drafted in the franchise, you know, draft mode that you could do online. And, and just a 
joy to watch him play the game. Talk about a blend of a center field safety, a ball hawk, a hard hitter. He could come down and play in the box. Uh, he could cover. He could, again, the, the, the ability for him to play single high safety, to read offenses, to communicate with the rest of the defense. Uh, him and Ray Lewis combined formed a duo in the, the center of the field that was just unstoppable defensively and uh, really a huge reason that they were able to win a Super Bowl with Trent Dilfer at quarterback was the those two in the center of the field. And uh, again, Ed Reed, one of the greatest that I've ever seen play safety and uh, certainly well-deserving and uh, the player that I think should really highlight this class. One other you know, noteworthy spot uh, over the weekend is that it's now been rumored that the Packers and the Bears may kick off the 2019 season. It sounds like that might even be the Thursday night game. I'm wondering if maybe it ends up being the, the Sunday night game, but th- there has been talk recently that the Super Bowl winner would either play on Thursday night or on Sunday night. That was kind of leaked out a, a few weeks back, I want to say it was. And I, I'm starting to think that the reason that that was leaked out is because the league wants to kick off their 100th official season with Packers and Bears on Thursday night. You would think that that game would be in Chicago with Chicago celebrating their 100th season. And uh, of course, the Bears opened in the, you know, at Lambeau Field for the Packers 100th season. So I have a feeling that Thursday night game may very well be Packers at Bears. And then the Sunday night game will probably be Patriots and Chiefs if I had to go out on a limb. So uh, some interesting games and, and that Packers Bears game will be a very tough challenge for the first ever led Matt LaFleur head coached team. And uh, it's going to be a really interesting game to watch. I'm sure the Packers are going to be able to throw quite a few uh, unscouted looks at the Bears. Uh, Bears will have a new defensive coordinator. Of course, again, Vic Fangio is gone. So that should be a really fun game if that does in fact kick off Thursday night football. I hate, hate, hate division games opening up week one. Uh, If you're not familiar, and I'm sure you are, but the division games are the most important when it comes down to tiebreakers and how you get into the playoffs. Of course, if you win your division, you're guaranteed a spot in the playoffs. And with the way the preseason games are played right now, preseason games uh, are are basically not played by starters at all. So that week one game is really a a feeling out phase for every team across the league. And I hate the fact that such a huge divisional game could be played in week one when your guys are still kind of getting their legs underneath them. And it's it's not really uh, everyone firing on all cylinders yet. I've been a huge proponent for a very long time that week one, every single game across the league should be an AFC versus NFC matchup. It still matters. It's still a regular season game, but it matters the least. When you get to all the tiebreakers, uh, the the conference games, the division games, all of those count way more from a tiebreaker standpoint than any game against the AFC does. The AFC game or the non-conference game counts the least uh, from a a pecking order standpoint uh, when you get to tiebreakers at the end. So I would love to see every game week one be AFC versus NFC. I would even like to see week two be AFC versus NFC, to be totally honest. I don't think you lose anything, uh, you know, from having a, a interconference game. Um, and again, I think that's something that should look to be implemented going forward. But that being said, that again, that Bears-Packers game, if it does in fact take place, should be a very interesting way to open the Matt LaFleur era. Couple other things that I uh, definitely wanted to get into today. I had a really cool piece that was posted on Cheesehead TV this past Friday 
Um, and I was able to get uh, a few of my, you know, Packer film study colleagues to go in on me with this article. Um, I really wanted to take the time to look at, you know, to get the six people who, in my opinion, watched more Packers film than anyone that doesn't work for the Packers uh, this season, get together and kind of pick their brains on a few different topics that concern the Packers, specifically what happened in the 2018 season. Uh, those analysts include myself, Ben Club from Pack to the Future. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at PTTF underscore Ben, the athletics Ben Fennel at Ben Fennel underscore NFL, uh, Isaac Sky, you can follow him on Twitter at the underscore green underscore gold. And of course, Packaday's own Dusty Evely at Dusty Evely and Ross Uglum at Ross Uglum. So I asked all five of them and then I answered the questions myself. Uh, 10 different questions. I'm going to go through a few of them today and just kind of give you some of the, the highlights that I took away from it. So I asked all of us uh, who was the offensive MVP. Devontae Adams was the winner of that by far, who had uh, five of the six analysts pick him. Defensive MVP, same thing. Kenny Clark, five out of six analysts, chose him from that group. Uh, the player that Green Bay most needs to move on from, uh, Nick Perry led the way with three votes. Byron Bell had two, and then a bunch of players had one vote apiece, including Jimmy Graham, Justin McCray, Muhammad Wilkerson, Jake Kumaro, Randall Cobb, Kentrell Bryce, and Clay Matthews. Most underrated players, uh, Tremont Williams had three votes. Corey Lindsley had three votes. So that was most underrated players from this 2018 season. Most overrated player, the leader in the clubhouse there was Blake Martinez. Uh, breakout player for 2019, players to keep an eye on. Uh, Aaron Jones had three votes. Jair Alexander was second with two. What position needs the biggest upgrade? Uh, Edge was by far the leader in the clubhouse there with five out of six votes. Were the Packers right to move on from HaHa Clinton Dix? Uh, overwhelmingly, that was yes. Five out of six people voted that that was, in fact, the right move. And then I asked the question, which of these players should the Packers keep? And the options were Jimmy Graham, Clay Matthews, Randall Cobb, Nick Perry, Bashad Breland, and Tremont Williams. Uh, the leader in the clubhouse there was Bashad Breland with four. Tremont Williams, Clay Matthews, and Randall Cobb all had three votes. Jimmy Graham had one vote, and Nick Perry had none. So uh, again, the overwhelming leader was Bashad Breland with four out of the six analysts wanting to keep him going into this 2019 season. That answer actually led me to run a poll over the weekend, uh, which it's actually not closed yet, but it has over 5,000 votes. And the poll that I ran uh, was uh, basically the question of, if you could keep only one of these four players in 2019, which one would you most want to hang on to? And the options were Randall Cobb, Clay Matthews, Tremont Williams, and Bashad Breland. And I'll be totally honest, I did not expect this result at all. And uh, for a variety of reasons. One, I'm not necessarily sure that it's wrong, uh, but usually when I run these polls, there's a lot of nostalgia that goes into it. And a lot of fans in general, not just Packer fans, but uh, really the, the big names and the players who have meant the most over the course of their time with the Packers tend to really get more votes than, than maybe what they should or maybe what would be considered normal. Well, in this case, Bashad Breland dominated this vote. Again, over 5,000 votes were cast. He had two-thirds of the vote. 67% of the vote went to Bashad Breland. So he had more than the rest of them combined. Randall Cobb came in second with 16%, Tremont Williams in third with 9%, and Clay Matthews in fourth with 8%. So that really, really blew me away. Um, and again, I'm not saying it's the wrong answer. I 
probably would go with Tremont Williams. He had a slightly better grade for me over the season, and I just like his versatility a little bit more. And I do find it interesting that there is this overwhelmingly positive you know, vibe that goes along with Bashad Breland. And I know he got that big contract with Carolina and then things fell apart and, he, and Green Bay was very lucky to get him on a very cheap deal. And I know he had the pick six and there were some other plays that he made breaking up passes and he did at times stand out. And I think if you're watching him at a surface level, I could see why he did stand out. And I should mention as well that four of the six people that I interviewed did want to bring him back for 2019. So there is a positive vibe that goes along with Bashad Breland. However, you know, three of the groups that really take the time to break down the film, uh, Bob McGinn, Pro Football Focus, and myself, um, you know, I had a neutral grade on Bashad Breland, not good, not bad, but solid. Uh, Pro Football Focus had him rated as the 100th rated cornerback out of 112 possible qualifiers. So of the 112 corners that qualified in their system, he ranked 100th overall. So only 12 corners ranked worse than him. So I think that's a a telling number. And then I know Bob McGinn had a, a low grade on him from this past season as well. So from the people really, you know, grading the tape, I should say. Uh, Not a huge grade on Bashar Breland. I'll just give you my quick two cents on him. I think he's a solid player. I think he's one of those players that, again, you get to the end of free agency in the draft and he's still sitting out there. You kind of pick him up if you're not feeling comfortable with your, your depth at corner. Very similar to what Green Bay did with him last year. He gets about $4 million a year, somewhere around that number. I'm good with bringing him back. But I don't think he's a necessity by any stretch of the imagination. And I don't think he's the answer to your question on defense. Again, I think he's a stopgap on a one-year deal, maybe a one-year with an option year, maybe a one-year with a ton of incentives. Any of those I'm good with. But if if he's expected to be a full-time starting cornerback, I don't think he's going to give you what, what you really want and what a lot of Packer fans are hoping for. So I would definitely put a buyer beware mark on him. But again, four of the six people that I really, really respect, uh, you know, had him that they wanted him to be back in Green Bay in 2019. He also just got a big, uh, you know, vote of confidence from Jair Alexander as well. He, you know, he really said that he wanted Bashad Breland back. It sounded like they really made a connection. Uh, he, I think he actually said that he needed Bashad Breland back this year. So if your uh, stud rookie corner wants him back, maybe he uh, kind of saw him as a mentor, not quite sure there, but uh, that does, you know, hold some water as well with me. So he'll be an interesting player to keep an eye on. I would not, again, break the bank for him, but a a solid player if you can get him back on a nice contract. I know football's over and we just experienced the end of the Super Bowl and uh, it now is until September, uh, what seems like forever away until we've got our next meaningful football game, which fortunately it sounds like might be the Packers-Bears game, which would be great to, to kick off the season with a Packer game. But there is football that technically does start this weekend. The AAF is starting this weekend, and I was actually pretty excited to learn that they're going to be having a ton of games live on both CBS and the NFL Network. And uh, I was kind of interested to take a look back at some of the rosters or look ahead at some of the rosters and see if there were any Packer connections that were going to be playing. So let me run through these quick. You can pick out your favorite squad based on maybe former Packers, so you know who to cheer for going forward. There were some interesting Packer connections. I'll just run through them really quick. There are the Arizona Hotshots, who have former Packer running back Jarrell Presley and former Packer linebacker Carl Bradford. The Atlanta Legends, with wide receiver Monte Crockett and cornerback Donatello Brown. 
the Birmingham Iron, who have running back Ladarius Perkins, the Memphis Express, led by running back and former Packer Rajon Neal, the Orlando Apollos, who have wide receiver Charles Johnson, a former Packer draft pick, offensive guard Andrew Tiller, and cornerback Ladarius Gunter. They also have a family member of current Packer Justin McRae. His brother, Jordan McRae, is a guard for the Apollos. The Salt Lake Stallions, I have a feeling this will be a favorite team based on some former Packers. You've got the uh, you know running back Joel Buonio, you've got wide receiver Adonis Jennings, former edge rusher Chris Odom, and fan favorite linebacker from this past preseason, Greer Martini. Then you've got the San Antonio Commodore, excuse me, the San Antonio Commanders with former preseason quarterback Marquise Williams, defensive lineman Joey Embu, and edge rusher Jaron Elliott, again, a former Packer favorite. The San Diego Fleet, as far as I could tell, have no Packer connections, so boo them. Nobody's getting on the San Diego Fleet bandwagon. <laughs> I think if uh, if Packers fans had to choose, I would guess the Salt Lake Stallions with Buonio, Jennings, Odom, and Martini is probably going to be a Packer favorite going forward. But that kicks off this weekend. I'm kind of actually excited to, to put on some of those games and see if anybody stands out. There are a lot of former NFL players, some interesting coaches, Steve Spurrier, Dennis Erickson. Uh, just to name a few, Mike Martz is coaching. And uh, again, you're going to notice a lot of these names from former NFL teams. I know a lot of the guys I just named were some back of the back of the back of the depth chart on your, you know, in the preseason. I don't think anyone probably remembers Andrew Tiller too well, but again, some interesting Packer connections there in a league that will be intriguing at least for me to keep an eye on it. To me, it's better than nothing. There's usually no football in February and March, and uh, it seems like a pretty solid put-together league. Next year, we'll have the XFL as well. And you know what? I'll take as much football as I can get. And I do think you're going to see some of these players who shine in the AAF get some chances in uh, in preseason and in training camp this coming season for the NFL. So I am kind of looking forward to that. Last but not least today, I did want to answer some fan questions. I'm going to absolutely butcher some of these Twitter handles, so I apologize in advance, but I'll kind of go through these lightning round a little bit. Monsmoy1 tweeted at me, Green Bay needs a running back three. What round can Green Bay take a running back in? Uh, It's a great question. So I'm going to go over my general philosophy for drafting running backs. First and foremost, never, ever, 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 do you draft a running back in the first round ever, ever? And we saw this year, Philip Lindsley, a stud running back for the Broncos, undrafted free agent. You go back and look at the past 20-ish years of Super Bowl history, the majority of the running backs that were uh, helping their teams win football games, not drafted in the first round. It is not a recipe for success. I know this is really the wrong night uh, to preach this as Sony Michelle, a first-round running back, had a nice game, and Todd Gurley, a first-round running back, was on the other side. Uh, but Gurley, of course, did not have a good have a good game. And to me, there's no way, shape, or form that if Sony Michelle didn't play it down in this game and they went with Burkhead and White, that that result was any different in any capacity. So never a first round running back. Um, if you're thinking of taking a running back in the draft and you have an offensive lineman on the board that's even remotely close in grade, take the offensive lineman because one, not only are they going to help whatever running back you do have back there, uh, but they're going to help your passing game. They're going to help your offensive line depth. Uh, I would always take the closely rated offensive lineman over the running back. You can find running back anywhere, so do not feel like you need to take that. And then last but not least, outside of the first round, my general rule of thumb 
thumb is at some point in the draft, something's going to go to crap. And what I mean by that is you're going to have a guy targeted and he gets taken right before you, or, you know, you're going to have, uh, you know, a draft board that your next highest rated guy is a, a fifth rounder and you're picking in the fourth round, something like that. In that situation where something goes to crap, you're not sure who to take, the guy you really wanted got taken right before you and you don't have that next pick lined up, maybe you can't trade back. In that case, take your running back there because in just about every single round, you're going to have a running back that you like on the board. And uh, if that gets to the point where you just, you know, you're not feeling anyone else that's left on the board that at that point, that's the time you take a running back because likely, uh, again, there's somebody there that you like at the running back position. And if you're in trouble, just not sure who to pick at that time, again, that's the point where you take a running back. And I think Green Bay will likely take one or two running backs on day three of the draft. I think they can still get someone solid. They don't need a starter at this point. They've got Aaron Jones. They've got Jamal Williams. I do think the running back is going to be more of a focal point. So I think if you get one more guy to really come in there and compete, that would be great. But again, I would take somebody probably more in the fifth-ish round, maybe fourth, maybe sixth to come in and compete for that number three running back spot. And again, you can always find uh, some really quality undrafted free agents, which we've seen in the past, uh, to again, come in and compete for that spot as well. At Bucky Fan Mike tweeted, who is the number one free agent the Packers should sign? So I'm going to try to keep this as realistic as possible. I don't know even how realistic this is. I know he didn't have a huge game tonight, but Trey Flowers for the Patriots is a player that I really, really like. This is somebody for Pro Football Focus. He rated as their number six edge defender, graded out well in coverage and run defense and pass rush. Watched quite a few Patriots game this year games this year, and he was somebody who consistently stood out to me. He's a do-it-all type of defensive player. He is a I don't know if I would call him a blue chip type player, but he's as close as you're going to find that actually has a chance of reaching that free agency market. I know that Patriots don't generally work out on other teams once they leave the Patriots, but you can see his raw natural ability on tape. This is a player that is good no matter where you play him. You plug him in as an edge defender next to Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark, and you immediately upgrade this pass rush. You upgrade the defense. He can set the edge. He's an every down player. He can pass rush from the inside and give Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels a breather on passing downs if you need to. I just think he'd be a massive free agent signing. If you could then double that down with a edge rusher at number 12 in the draft, like a Ja'Kai Polite, man, you go from a position uh, as your biggest weakness on the team to one of your biggest strengths on the team, especially then when you can have Kyler Fackrell as your number three coming off the bench. That is an ideal scenario, and he would be the guy that I would very, very much target in free agency if he does, in fact, hit the open market. Wisco Sports 5 tweeted, what's the most exciting thing about Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers working together? And my answer to that is it's new. It's exciting because it's new. We've only seen Aaron Rodgers teamed with Mike McCarthy. And over the course of the last few years, it hasn't worked. It's been stale. They haven't clicked. And it's just exciting that it's something different. And we have no idea of knowing if this is going to be a match made in heaven or if this is going to be something where uh, the two sides don't see eye to eye and it ends up being a nightmare. Hopefully that's not the case, but it is so exciting to see something new and refreshing and something that's hopefully going to challenge Aaron Rodgers. Matt LaFleur has had success with pretty much every quarterback that he has touched wherever he has gone. And of course, Green Bay is hoping that that 
remains the case with him coaching Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. And that's why this is so exciting is because it's new. There's going to be a lot of nuances within this offense that Rodgers hasn't had to work with before. I think it's going to challenge him. And I think he's going to enjoy that challenge. I think he wants to be challenged. I think he wants to be coached hard. And uh, we're going to find out this year. And I think that's why it's so exciting. Steve-O36Z tweeted, what young player on the team do you see making a big jump next year? I'll give you two answers. One uh, that's maybe cheating a little bit. I, I, in my uh, article again this week for the the Cheesehead TV with the film gurus that we did, uh, I said Jair Alexander. That was my answer. He has the most natural coverability of any corner that I've ever seen in my time covering the Packers. Is he as good as Tremont Williams, Sam Shields, Charles Woodson, Al Harris, those type of players in their prime? No, he's not. Will he ever reach the ceiling of a, a Charles Woodson? No, he won't but he has the most natural coverability of any corner I have seen in Green Bay. And he just has to stay consistent and play with his technique. And uh, if he can do that, he has the ability to be a close to, if not shut down corner in this league over the course of the next few years. I think you will see him make a jump this coming season. He is a willing tackler. He is a energizer bunny on that side of the defense. He brings intensity. He brings passion. And I am excited to see what he is going to be able to do in year two. Uh, If you're looking for a player that's maybe under the radar that I think can make a jump, I'm looking at Alex Light. And he played a uh, about 40 to 50-ish snaps this season in a couple different games. And I was impressed what I saw. Now, when he was in there, the Packers were basically in a pass-only mode, and he's a little bit too light, no pun intended at this point, uh, in his career, and he needs to put on some functional strength. But if he can get in the weight room this offseason and really put on that functional strength and show that he can play in the run game as well, I like his chances of being a, a player going forward for Green Bay. I think ideally he's probably still a backup going into the season at the left and right guard positions. If he can add in the ability to play some center or tackle in a pinch, he increases his odds of being active on game day uh, because, again, the more versatility you have as a backup, the more opportunities you have to get in the game. And then you're just one or two you know, plays away or injuries away from significantly contributing on this team. I liked what I saw in film in college. I liked what I saw in film in the pros, uh, his, the, what little film there is. And uh, I think he has the ability to really play with good technique. And again, if he just adds that functional strength this offseason, I think in a couple years, you could be talking uh, about him as one of those players like a Marco Rivera, who really kind of developed out of nowhere, Lane Taylor, same sort of thing, and uh, could be a strong starter for this offensive line in years to come. So uh, he would be another player that I would really keep an eye on. At A underscore Rizuli 50 tweeted, what positions do you feel would be upgraded best through the draft and for which ones would be better to upgrade via free agency? And my simple answer to this is free agency is for need. Trades are for need. Draft is for value. You do not attack positions in the draft based off of need. You uh, attack positions in the draft based off of value. You do want to have that best player available mentality. And when you're stacking your board, what position you need more of does play a part in that, which holes are opening over the course of the next couple seasons do play a part in that. But you take value. You do not pass on a great player because you have a great player at the moment. An example of that would be an Ed Oliver. If Ed Oliver grades out the way that I expect him to, I haven't you know, dove in super deep to him yet. But if he grades out as well as I expect him to, and he's there at pick 12, you absolutely consider taking him, even though you've got a Mike Daniels and a Kenny Clark 
already at that position. You don't just pass up great players because you have value there already. You do not know what's going to happen from an injury standpoint, from uh, from a holdout standpoint. Uh, You just do not know. So don't pass up, you know, potentially generational talent because you don't have a need. Take the best player available, attack your needs in free agency and via trade. You ideally want to have your kind of depth chart set before you get into the draft. And then again, pick the best players that you can that are going to help your team long-term. And if they have the opportunity to bump someone out of the out, out of a spot on that depth chart as the offseason goes on, fantastic. That's a bonus. Uh, but you really should be drafting based off of talent and evaluation and overall skill, not just based off of need. All right. So a couple last questions here. Uh, at S-V-O-S-E-N, uh, S-Vasen, I guess, said, realistically, how far are the Packers from being a Super Bowl caliber team? There's a couple things massively at play here. The first is how much can Aaron Rodgers bounce back from a little bit of an off season? And the second is how good of a coach is Matt LaFleur and do they gel together? If Green Bay got themselves a, a really great young head coach and Aaron Rodgers bounces back and becomes the Aaron Rodgers of a few years ago and, and shows that he's capable of being one of the top two or three players in this league, then that will cover a, you know, a gluttony of errors and sins that this team might have, you know, that overcomes a lot when you've got an MVP caliber quarterback and a really strong head coach. And especially if they're clicking together, if those two things come together, they can get back to the Super Bowl by this year. No question. But ideally they do need an influx of top end talent. When your top eight players include players like Corey Lindsley, you know, two defensive tackles who, again, I like, but it's uh, probably too strong at one position potentially. Uh, you know, Aaron Jones, who is good, but he still needs to probably show that he can, again, withstand the full season and carry the ball consistently and be given those opportunities. That's not enough in your top eight players. Your top eight players are going to really dictate how good your team is. And uh, they've got four great ones in Devontae Adams, David Bakhtiari, Kenny Clark, and Aaron Rodgers. They've got four really, really good ones in Aaron Jones, Corey Lindsley, Mike Daniels, and Jair Alexander, but they have to get better. And along with that means that those top-end players play up to their abilities. Aaron Rodgers, again, whether it be due to injury or not, did not do that this year. Jair Alexander did fall off over the last quarter of the season and had some injuries as well. Mike Daniels, I really liked how Mike Daniels played this year. They asked him to be more of a nose tackle um, and let Kenny Clark be a little bit more free. I liked how he played, but he does have to have more of an impact. And of course, he was hurt as well. So these guys have to play up to their ability as well in order for Green Bay to reach that next level. At K Hoffenbecker tweeted, at, tweeted Noah Fant or TJ Hawkinson, which tight end would I prefer? Uh, There were a lot of draft questions that got sent my way, and to be totally transparent, I'm not far enough yet in my evaluations to say one or the uh, other at any of these positions yet, Uh, but from the little that I've seen at this point, I would go TJ Hawkinson. I think he's going to be drafted ahead of Noah Fant, and uh, I do think that Hawkinson brings more value in the Matt LaFleur offense. Uh, They like to be really multiple in their looks, have players who can uh, both run block and get out and, and, uh, you know, catch the ball and uh, get out and run dynamic routes. And I think Hawkinson has the ability to do both of those things. So I would put him a little bit more of a value over Fant at this point, but uh, I reserve right to change my mind over the course of the next couple months as we get more information from the combine and I have the opportunity to break down more of the tape. And last but not least, 
at Baker DC one said chances of Mo Wilkerson returning. I would put those chances pretty low at this point. You know, you've got Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels. You've got then three solid players right behind them in Dean Lowry, Montrevious Adams, and Tyler Lancaster. To me, those five are already making the team. Um, You've got a couple developmental guys in Fadol Brown and in Looney, who was a seventh round pick last year. They're probably going to draft one or two defensive linemen as well, probably late, but you don't know where you're going to find that value again. So I think you're going to have guys that are ready to compete for spots, even behind your top two in Clark and Daniels. Lowry filled in adequately. Montrevious Adams had some flashes. Lancaster can be a stud on early downs. So I don't think this is a major position for need. Again, I just went through, you draft for value. So if you're drafting players and you find a guy there, absolutely take him. But when you're looking at spending money, I don't think Mo Wilkerson is a guy that you need to spend money on. If it's a $1.5 million deal with a ton of incentives, something like that, absolutely. Bring him on back. Maybe he loves playing for the Packers and Petten and wants to come back this year. In a, in a situation like that, sure, I'm not going to turn it down. I'm not going to you know, turn down a, a ridiculous opportunity to sign a solid player at a low cost. But unless it's something like that, it's probably time just to move on. And uh, I feel bad that Wilkerson didn't get more of an opportunity to show what he could do in this defense and and on the season. But at this point, he's a declining player just coming off a major injury, and and it's probably time to move forward. A lot to cover today, kind of a lot of random topics. (laughs) Disappointing that uh, Super Bowl Sunday with another Patriots win and, uh, you know, the Packers being nowhere near sniffing the Super Bowl. But this is really the cool part of the offseason now where we're starting to ramp up things really, really quick. It is going to be an incredible offseason to watch from which players the Packers retain, from Randall Cobb to Clay Matthews to Nick Perry to Tremont Williams and so on and so forth. You then enter the free agency stage. I do believe that Brian Gutekinds will be very active. I do believe he'll be active in the trade market as well as he was last year with trading Demarius Randall away and at the trade deadline, uh, trading both Ty Montgomery and Ha Clinton Dix. I think you're going to see him trade for one pretty big name this offseason. No idea who, just gut feeling and gut instinct, but I do think you're going to see him involved there as well. You're going to see a very important draft upcoming. And then those OTAs, those training camps, those mini camps, talk about exciting when you're talking about a new head coach coming in and implementing a new philosophy and seeing how that works. Then you get into the preseason and seeing how it starts to look coming together and potentially again, then the Packers and Bears kicking off on Thursday night football. Seems like forever away, uh, but football never sleeps. We, of course, at the Packaday Podcast don't sleep. Uh, we've got Maggie Lawler and Paul Brettel joining the team. Super exciting news there. Maggie joined me last week. She's now going to be joining the team full time. So is Paul Brettel. Uh, they're going to be joining Nick Schmitz every other Wednesday on the podcast starting this Wednesday. Make sure to check out that episode. Matt Freilich and Janelle Mackey are going to be right back with you tomorrow. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Scotty Sports. As always, please, please, please like, follow, subscribe, tell a friend, so on and so forth. Anything you can do to support us, we really, really appreciate this. We do this as a labor of love because we love the Packers. We know you love the Packers. Um, and uh, again, it's something that we feel very passionate about. If you can go and support again by liking, subscribing, telling a friend, that really means a lot to us as well. As always, I'll be back in one week. I'm going to be back with a very special guest, Kelly Price. Super excited to talk to her. She was recently at the Pro Bowl, did that great interview with Devontae Adams. Excited to talk with her about that. Uh, so make sure to check that out a week from today. But until then, and as always, Go Pack Go! From the 16 of New York... 
first down, goal to go. Rodgers in the shotgun, Williams to his left, here's the snap. Rodgers clean pocket, throws the middle of the end. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.